Rod, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about your your new book. I guess well, that was quite an you. undertaking. I guess how, how long did that take you to, to write the book? I don't. I think we did it in about a year. About a year. You, okay. you know, through my heart attack and uh, heart transplant and the whole works. This is Religion Unplugged, an interview series about the impact of religion in public life and around the world. One Tough Out is a new memoir from legendary Minnesota Twins baseball player Rod Carew. The book explores his struggles with health and the role of his faith and family to get him through it. Senior contributor Bobby Ross Jr. talked with Carew about the memoir and how the ongoing crises affect his thinking about the protests in Minneapolis and the global concerns about health. I got involved with the American Heart Association, and I thought it was a great idea to uh, to do it because I went through uh, heart problems and a heart transplant and a kidney transplant. And so if we could uh, get the people and let them know how important it is to take care of their hearts and, and things like that, that... Um, we hope we could do some good because, you know, heart disease is like the number one killer in this country. So we're trying to get people to uh, take care of themselves, the better of themselves. Well, that's great. And you had a great person to work with in Jamie Aaron. I worked with him at the Associated Press for a few years, and so I'm sure. Yeah, he's a good guy. Good. Well, I am obviously with Religion Unplugged. We we're interested in the faith angle, and I think I did a word search, and maybe God is mentioned at least 67 times in your book. So obviously, faith is a big part of that. And even even early in the book, you you talk about your mother's influence from a very early age. Yes, with definitely. your faith. What would be your earliest memory, I guess, of faith or going to church? Church with her. Oh, I think I was about seven years old, and um, instead of playing baseball on Sundays, I had to go to church. And uh, the thing that she always told me is that uh, God is going to be with you. He's going to take care of you uh, during your upbringing. And um, I believed her. I believed in her and what she had to say, and uh, she was a big influence in part of my life as far as that respects go. Did y'all have did y'all have a specific, I guess, denominational affiliation as a child, as far as the kind of type of church that you attended? Yeah, we were Episcopalians. Well, you know, so that that was very important to me because I'm, she made me go to church on Sundays, you know. So um, while the other kids were out playing, I was in church, um, talking to my friend upstairs. Wow. And obviously that made a big impact on your life. You, 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 your book talks a lot about the trauma that you experienced with, with an abusive father who who had an alcohol problem. And just what role do you think faith and, and God played in your ability to, to get, I guess, to survive all of that? Well, I think it was a very important part because, you know, my dad came home drunk one time. 
and he passed out on the bed. I think I was maybe about 11 years old, and I felt like I had the opportunity to get back at him, so I went out and got my machete, and I was going to, you know, chop him up. And then my mom came in just at the right time, and she says, Baseball, God! You know, so I just dropped the machete and run, run out of the room, you know, and uh, um, I could have been a lot in a lot of trouble uh, during that experience, but um, my mom once again saved me. Wow. Well, that's crazy to think that a child would have to to go through something like that. Yeah, it, it was bad. I mean, it was really bad. And she took a beating for me, you know, because she tried to protect me, but um, he uh, took it out of her also. And I think you mentioned in the book that she would not let him even get the satisfaction of that. And there were a couple of songs that I'm not remembering. I'm, you, you may, as far as that she would sing in those cases, maybe Amazing Grace or, or Amazing something like Amazing Grace and Railroad, My God to Thee. Wow. Um, she uh, sang those songs as he's beating her and and beating me as she's trying to hold on to me. Wow. So um, she, my mother was a, a lady of faith. You know, she believed so much that um, God was going to take care of me always, that he's always there for me if I ever need him. Wow. But I guess you probably can't. If you happen to be in church when those songs are sung, I would assume that that they even today they you would it'd be difficult not to be thinking about her when you're hearing or singing those songs. Oh, definitely, yeah, I do all the time. And one thing that was interesting to me in your book is you talk about you know your one-on-one time with God and and that you were never you know you weren't someone who was tied to a set of rules or you know, memorizing scriptures that you were more about, you know, you, you and God. Why, why do you think that, why do you think it was like that for you as far as how you approached your faith? Well, you know, I, I was so comfortable with him, you know, ex- uh, talking to him and expressing uh, the things that I was going through as a kid. And, um, I would ask him questions, you know, what's in my future and, and just little things like that that a, uh, a growing little boy wants to know. And I I knew that um, that when he created me, that he already had my life planned out. And uh, so when I had doubts about anything, you know, I always say, Father, please just be there for me. And it seems like he, he answered all my prayers. Well, and I guess throughout your career and even till now, a lot of people have have thought that you were Jewish, including Adam Sandler. Can you can you talk a little (laughs) bit about that? Well, you know, I was married to a Jewish girl for about 30 years. And at one time I was going to convert and I kept putting it off, putting it off. And because my my daughters were raised in the Jewish faith. And so I kept putting it off, putting it off. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not. So um, eventually I decided not to. And um, I didn't want to feel like I was giving up 
uh, something by you know by changing my uh, my religion. I think you mentioned in the book that that you believe God gave you the ability to hit a baseball, but not necessarily that in any given at bat that He was going to dis- determine whether you got a hit or not. Well, you know, I knew that He gave me an ability to do something that a lot of people couldn't do or can't do. And with that ability, he wanted me to work at it. Just don't take it and do nothing with it. And so, you know, when guys are saying they're they're going to do this this year or next year, you know, I was the opposite. You know, I said, if my father gives me good health, I'm going to play and play hard for him. I never set goals. Uh, during my career, but it was all up to him and giving me, you know, great health. And I was lucky because I wasn't hurt too much uh, during the 19 years that I played. If I, I might ask one baseball question, if you don't mind. But yeah. you talk about, you know, you say when people ask about what was your favorite game or experience in baseball, and I think June 26, 1977 is what you mentioned in the book. Can you talk a little bit about why that day was so special to you? Well, you know, I went into the Twin Cities as a uh, 20-year-old kid. And I was, uh, because of my abuse from my dad, I was really hard to get along with. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd fight people or even my teammates uh, because I, if they said something wrong that I didn't like, we we had we went to the closet or went into a room and just, went at it. And then I started uh, understanding when Billy Billy Martin took me aside one day and he said to me, you know, you've got a great talent and you're going to go a lot of places, he said, but you have to control the temper. And then I really started understanding what the Lord had given me. You know, he had given me something great that that I could go out there and, and make people happy and put a smile on their faces. And so I started to grow as a person. And I I remember that on that date, I think I went four for six, and I received um, like, I think, six or seven standing ovations during the ballgame. And so it made me feel like I had made the turn, you know, that um, I came in here as a kid, and now these people have grown so accustomed to me that, you know, I've grown up a lot. And um, I appreciated the work that I would sit and talk to to the Lord about and um, ask him to forgive me for, a, for all the sins that I've committed. Uh, but I'm going to try and follow him in, in my best way. It was a big day, and I appreciated the people of Minnesota for... Uh, turning out for that ball game and uh, making sure that I would never forget that day. So was that know, Rod, Car- Rod Carew day? Do I remember that? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think okay. they were handing out bats or something. Oh, okay. Okay. But you know, it was, it was important because, you know, we were a young team and then I started to uh, become the older guy on the team. Uh, <laughs> So I had to take part in a lot of things that would help us uh, win ball games that year. 
Well, if we could talk a little bit about, I guess, your daughter, Michelle, you lost her at age 18 to leukemia. Right. Yeah, she was a... She was a big influence on me because she knew that I wasn't the kind of person that enjoyed talking to the press, you know, the print press. I would talk to the TV guys or radio guys, but not the reporters that followed the team because every time I would do an interview, they would take it and write what they wanted with it. So I started being gun shy and, and she knew this. And so when we were checking into the hospital with her, and there were so many kids running around the hallways with uh, with their poles, and they had their hockey sticks and their balls, and they were throwing them around, and their soccer balls, and they were uh, kicking them all over the place. And standing there at check-in, she looked at me and she says, Dad, see all these kids? She said, no matter what happens to me, I want you to help these other kids. And um, I know, she said, I know that you don't talk to the press, but, you know, I'd like you to promise me that you will because, you know, it's so important for all these kids also. So I opened up myself and became more accessible to to the press and talking to them. Wow. You know, you went you went through that experience with her, and then you had your own experience with with the heart and heart and kidney transplant. And, and you mentioned in the book that you you know in in those circumstances you never blamed God. And I'm wondering, no, never I did. Mean, how, yeah. how 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 do you not blame God in those situations? Well, um, because I know that with with my daughter, she's going to a better place. And she's going to be another rose in his garden. Um, like a lot of people always, well, where's God? Why is he doing this? Why? You know, I never even tried to answer that question because I had faith in him and I knew that he was going to take care of her just like he was taking care of me when I went through my, my heart uh, problems with the heart transplant and my kidney transplant. Um, I used to scream in the mornings or before I went to bed at night and the nurses thought I was going crazy because I would always yell out, Father, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not afraid to die. You know, you're, you're with me right here and, you know, just stuff like that. And, and boy, they used to like think I was going crazy, but that, those were my, my conversations with him. Well, and I guess once you and Rhonda married, y'all y'all ended up at Saddleback Community Church, where where Rick Warren is the pastor. Yes, we did, and we got uh, rebaptized there. And Rick Warren, he was the the chaplain for the Angels, or yeah, okay, yep. okay. I guess I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay, yeah, so you knew he, him back in your playing days. My playing days, right. And he baptized you close to Easter in 2010? As- yeah, my wife and I, you know, we said, you know, we're going to get rebaptized and turned our lives over to God. So, you know, I, I was feeling good about myself and uh, good about my my marriage and my the kids. Uh, I have a son and a daughter and 
feeling good about them and um and I was thinking uh, to myself that I uh, hope uh, Pastor Rick doesn't hold me under the water too long. <laughs> you know. But, you know, it's um it's been a great life, you know. I'm I'm able to uh hopefully help people out there that's uh, having heart problems and and things like that because you know it's the number one uh killer of people here in this country so if the people can read that I went through it and all the help that I received from the Lord uh hopefully you know they'll change and and and, and make some changes in their life which will uh, be really beneficial to them Okay. Yeah, let me add, if you don't mind, one more quick question. Saddleback, are y'all still involved there? Yes, we're we're still involved. Uh, even when we, you know, I, I go to spring training with the twins uh, for a couple months, and um, we'll find the chapel on uh, on the internet, so we'll sit and watch and listen. Well, let me. I won't keep you much longer. Just a couple That's of quick okay. questions. Unrelated to faith, well, faith may play into this too, I guess. Minneapolis, with all that's been going on with with George Floyd's death, I know that's a place that's close to your heart. What 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 has been going through your mind as you've been reading and hearing about all of that? Well, you know, I spent 12 years, I lived there uh, during my plane career. And it was the greatest place to be. And it's a great place to raise kids, you know. So I was really surprised when all this protesting uh, was a big part of Minneapolis because my good friend Tony Oliva still lives there. So I made sure I checked on him to see that he's not too close to what was happening, you know. But, you know, it seems like it's a part of life nowadays that uh, uh, it's such a, a... hurtful time for all of us, black, white, Asian, uh, Pacific Islanders. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It's a tough time for all of us. And let me ask you one more question related to the pandemic we're in. How how are you doing health-wise and handling social distancing and all that that we're facing right now? Well, I'm doing good because I had a self-imposed quarantine. Um, when I flew back from uh, from Minnesota, uh, from Minnesota's camp, they flew me out on the owner's uh, plane, Rhonda and I, because they didn't want us to go through airports or be on a, uh, a flight with other people, you know, breathing and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I pulled into LAX and then I went straight to the to see my heart doctors and they tested me and I was fine uh, and so I make sure that I stay away from people I, I always wear a mask and uh, that I go out for a drive every now and then but I do it at night where I can just drive around and talk to Michelle and see how she's doing uh-huh. you know are we going to get baseball back this season well, you know, they're saying that we we are, but it's so da- to me it's dangerous because you're dealing with the lives of a lot of guys that uh, if this thing is not cured, 
you never know who's going to get who's going to get sick and who's going to survive it and i have learned to stay away from people because of my immune system uh, you know i i cannot be around people you know, and I, I wear a mask all the time, even when I'm driving around in my car. Uh-huh. You know, I have a mask on. Uh huh. So you feel like baseball maybe should be a little more cautious and maybe not go back this year? I think all sports should be uh-huh. because these guys are so together, so closely um, as a team, and, and, and they're just close. And, you know, you, you just don't know when this thing is going to be over with. So until they, to me, until they find a, a cure, you know, we're just putting a lot of people in danger by trying to get sports going. Uh, and, and playing the game without fans in the stands is not uh, as good as it would be if people were out there cheering for the players. Yeah, I think I agree with you there because I can't imagine even watching on TV and hitting foul balls into empty stadiums. It seems like yeah. it would be strange. Yeah. Wow. Well, anything else I should ask you about the book or about faith or about anything else that you think would be interesting in a story about you and, and, and how things are going today? You know, I want to thank you for having me on to talk about it because I think this way we're um, – we're not only going to sell more copies, but what we're, we've planned on doing is donating some of the funds to the American Heart Association and also to the um, aneurysm uh, association or problems that they have there. So um, we want to make sure that we do something with some of the funds that we uh, get from the book. Oh, that's great. Well, well, thank you so much, Rod. It's a true honor to talk to you. Well, thank you, too, and thanks so much for having us on, and um, stay safe. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Bobby Ross, Jr., edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.